We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Diggs. Touchdown. It was hot break week in the NFL this weekend, Sean, and NFL week eight. We've seen multiple players get in the end zone three times. We've seen Christian McCaffrey have three touchdowns in a, a variety of different ways. But it was uh, a hat trick week. And I asked you before we started recording, if you were aware of the term hat trick, it's very popular, obviously, in the, the UK and in the soccer world for when somebody scores three goals. We have multiple people scoring three touchdowns here this week. You mentioned, though, that it is a, a term used in hockey. But Today's Rotoviz Overtime podcast is brought to you by Blue Wire in association with winbet.com. We will have more on winbet.com later on in today's podcast. Sean, NFL week eight. I don't know about you. I don't know about the listeners. This felt like the first true, true week of scoring in the NFL season this year. It only took eight weeks, but this was a lot of fun. NFL week eight, I, I thought, really balled out. It was fun. It just took seven weeks of warm-up. Now we know that instead of the decreasing, instead of decreasing the preseason games, we need to have seven or eight preseason games so these teams can really get it going. It, it, it was a lot of fun. Had a, a message from Ben this afternoon saying he was interested in, in guests appearing on the show tonight, but we record too late for that to really work. Oh, that, Ben's excited. The, Ben's excited for a week. Ben's excited, yeah. He's excited. It was big DJ Moore week. It was big AJ Brown week. I mean, this may be the greatest week of all time for one Ben Gretsch, where his guys absolutely Smashed. explode. Uh he and I, our best team, which doesn't have DJ Moore, but does have Christian McCaffrey, Tyreek Hill, and AJ Brown, score 200 points this week, vaulting us I mean, back, you know, squarely into the middle of things. So that's where you're <laughs> hoping to be after week eight. It's just so much fun to see NFL teams play. Even the, the big scores that don't benefit us, scores like Alvin Kamara have basically no exposure there. You know, scores you know, from Tony Pollard, you know, those types of plays. Now, for Tony Pollard, it's really cool because despite the fact that the Cowboys continue to, to insist that Ezekiel Elliott is a big part of their team, you witness again today the firepower that Pollard brings. I mean, he and, and Travis Etienne, very, very similar players. Etienne now getting to have those big games with James Robinson moved out. Unfortunately, and this is a situation Every once in a while, you can get into as a back who is an explosive back, a little bit smaller back. I mean, you can get placed on a team where 
management will not clear the path for you. Instead, we'll throw up every hurdle possible. He's worked through that. And when he's gotten an opportunity, like in the game today, he puts up just a massive score. This was an interesting game. Cowboys, Bears. Bears actually did a lot of really good things, but still get blown out. The Cowboys score 49. Again, Colin, just so fun to see the scores go up all across the league. You have a game, kind of a squirrely game, still not particularly well played in so many ways, but a shootout between the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Pitts scores some points today. Deontay Foreman shows that, I mean, he should be a starting running back somewhere in 2023. One of the best side speed specimens in the entire NFL. And sadly for the Lions, they're involved in a shootout. They go down over 500 yards passing between Tua and Jerry Goff in the first half. The Lions slow down a little bit in the second. But Tua and the Dolphins, another really cool story. The Dolphins have to be very excited about where they are now that they're starting to get their pieces healthy again. Yeah, really. They they have to be very excited. And it was obviously a a rough couple of weeks with the situation with Tua himself, the quarterback change and so on. We will talk about that game a little bit later in the show. But Sean, when we start these shows, sometimes I'm like, What's the hot game to start with? How do we kick this off? Maybe actually we will just go straight. I said we're going to do that later. So maybe we will just kick off with that. You mentioned Ben Gretsch having a DJ Moore week. I was going to start with that, but we'll save that one for later. We'll go with the the Lions and the Dolphins. We get Tua going for 383 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill is on a tear. Another game over 160 yards for him, 188. 14 targets, 12 receptions. We have Jalen Waddle getting in the end zone twice. We have nine targets for him, eight receptions, 106. Both these guys, get get your best players the ball. Just get it to them. And they are, this offense just is, is so fun. We even get Mike Gesicki in the end zone again. The one note on the, the Dolphins side again for me, we talked last week about the Bengals when they get a, what looks like a touchdown. They rush up, they try and get the playoff. And it leads to them eventually getting away with it and getting into the end zone. The the lucky thing for these teams so far is they continue to get in the end zone after they decide not to challenge that it was a touchdown. But the Dolphins did that again here in this game where, for me, it was a clear touchdown. They they go in, they try and rush it in, they don't get it. But they do get it in on the, the second attempt after that. Then we get another game, Sean, where DeAndre Swift has to deal with Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams gets in the end zone twice, 10 rush attempts for 53 yards from him. A quiet enough day overall for Swift. The touchdown saving the day, five for six rushing, and then he gets five receptions on five targets for 27 yards and one touchdown. So I thought a very, very interesting game. The Lions came to play. The Lions defense kind of gives up as many yards as the opposition wants to get, but um, they did enough to make the, the Dolphins continue to have to to put their foot down to try and win this game. And I guess the, the Dolphins trio has to be where we start off here with Tua, Hill, and Waddle. Yeah, they look absolutely extraordinary. And the key part of this is that the Miami Dolphins went out and got Tyreek Hill in the offseason. And instead of the situation you see with the Las Vegas Raiders, where when I mean, he wanted to be there, obviously the team wants him, Derek Carr wants him, but they don't have a plan in place to really make that work. And you can say, well, I mean, partially it could be simply that Tyreek Hill is a lot better. He's got that game breaking speed that is hard to match really by anyone. Now, one of the reasons he's got that Tyreek Hill speed, John, he's got (laughs) the Tyreek Hill speed. It's uh, it's a speed all of its own. (laughs) 
Jalen Waddell, Raheem Mostert, two of the other fastest players in the NFL. It really puts a lot of pressure on the defense the way they're playing this. But the Dolphins aren't screwing around and using him as a decoy on a lot of plays, using him to free up other players. They are simply using him, right? 14 targets, and then it's the production off of those targets that frees up other players as opposed to the threat of that. I think so many teams want to use their stars and the threat from their stars to get other guys involved and forget that the main way that you do that and you get the production as well is simply to use that star first and build everything off of that. You do get nine targets for Jalen Waddle. He's extremely efficient catching eight of them. As you mentioned, he scores the two touchdowns that kind of balances out the fantasy day between these two players. Jalen Waddle, one of those guys we thought that you had to get in every single league. I thought that there was a very good chance that he would outscore Tyree Kill. Perhaps if he had been completely healthy and hadn't dealt with a couple of nagging injuries, maybe he would. But the cool thing here is that he may not be outscoring Tyree Kill, but he's outscoring basically everyone else, right? He looks like someone who could, who could have come off the board in the next two or three spots after Hill was drafted to see this entire offense work. And one of the kind of fun things here also is that Tua has been our target on a variety of teams where we lost Trey Lance early on. And you say, well, why was he available? The concussion element there created a situation where because he's a quarterback and quarterbacks are easier to pick up, move around. In some cases, Tua would have been the QB2 for drafters. They were willing to move on from him at that point. And we were pretty aggressive trying to pick him up in all formats to be able to get those points in there. You really like that part of it. It was weird a week ago where they come out in the first quarter and they look unstoppable second half. Basically, no points go up in this one. Obviously, you've got to keep attacking because the Lions are ahead. This is another just really frustrating game for Detroit. As I mentioned, Jared Goff throws for over 250 yards in the first half, and then they come back out in the second half, and they only have three possessions. Basically, don't have the ball. They go five plays for negative two yards, five plays for one yard, and then 10 plays and finish the game on downs. And the frustrating part of that was that because the Dolphins had had these two long touchdown drives, even though Detroit basically didn't have the ball in the second half, if they had taken that 10 play drive and then extended it, gone further, but able to score, they would have scored and then been in position to potentially win this game. Now, they might have been able to just completely burn the entire rest of the clock. Maybe the Dolphins would have had a little bit of time to go down there and tie. But the frustrating part here, I think for Jerry Goff and the Lions, is number one in the second half, you've got to execute some plays. You've got to continue to move the ball. DeAndre Swift, you mentioned that he didn't have much of a big game. He had to deal with Jamal Williams taking a couple of rushing touchdowns. Fortunately for fantasy managers, he did get that receiving touchdown. But when they tried to use him in the run game, he didn't look like himself. And so you can understand why they went to Williams. I mean, I think frustrating in some ways because Williams had the game-destroying fumble the previous week that cost the Lions a potential big upset against the Dallas Cowboys. He gets out there, though, and he does score the two touchdowns, probably not in a ton of lineups considering he did that last week and Swift is coming back. But the, the lack of a run threat in the second half then contributed to these problems that they had maintaining the ball moving the ball 
You didn't get TJ Hawkinson involved. You didn't get Amon Ross St. Brown involved again in the second half here. Very frustrating. But Josh Reynolds really was the guy who cost them this game. He has a touchdown at the end of the first half. He drops that touchdown. And so instead of going up 31 to 17, and you can still lose the game from that point, but to have the two touchdown lead at halftime to, to have scored 31 points in the first half, that would have been such a momentum booster as you go into to the half after those two previous games that they had played so poorly on offense. Instead, he drops it. They get the field goal. The Dolphins come right back out to start the second half and have a nine-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that makes it 27-24. So then, despite this great first half that you've had, the game is more or less tied. And then on the final play, and this one, much harder to blame him, but the fourth and one play that essentially ends the game for the Lions is a deep shot to Reynolds. I thought that Goff had a check down he could have taken just to make sure you get the first down and extend the drive. So some of that is definitely on him. Reynolds does more or less get open deep. Goff does get a ball out there that is probably catchable, but Reynolds not able to make the adjustment and come down with it. Not necessarily a blame to him or a blame to Goff, but frustrating that they're not able to make that connection. I know both of them would have liked that play to have worked out. Enough blame to sort of spread around at the very end of this game. But big picture, it's another loss for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, another loss as well, Sean, for the the Pittsburgh Steelers. I I don't think it was really a surprise going in based on our expectations before the game that the Eagles would win this. But they continue to be absolutely and utterly dominant in these performances. They're now 7-0. They win this one 35-13. Sean, the big story here. Time to get Ben excited. We get a, a monster, monster performance from A.J. Brown. Six receptions off 11 targets, 156 yards, and three touchdowns going his way. We continue to see... Jill and Hurts look fantastic in these situations. They really were the, the two stars of the show here. Uh, solid day as well as for Miles Sanders. Nine rush attempts for 78 yards and one touchdown for him there. So I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the Steelers, but we have to, we've just got to, to glow here about AJ Brown's performance and, and how dominant. You know, you get you get some performances where you get two touchdowns or three touchdowns, or we do see the games where there's a couple of plays that break off and you do get that 150 yard game. But this one was just sheer dominance to the point where after the, the third touchdown, he kind of scolded the two defenders who had him in double coverage but had absolutely no chances. He just manhandled them out of the way. <laughs> yeah. A.J. <laughs> Brown, a man among boys in this one. You know, sometimes you get these three touchdown games, as you mentioned, where maybe the player is really benefiting from someone else. But this is just all A.J. Brown. You've got a 39-yard touchdown, a 27-yard touchdown, a 29-yard touchdown through double teams where i mean he's just these bigger, aren't, these aren't broken plays where like you know if we talk later about ron delmore has touchdown you know it's a kind of broken tackle that leads to a huge long touchdown we've seen that a couple of weeks ago with a tyler Boyd long touchdown where he bounces off a player and runs for 50 yards after it but but these were just like these were these were grown-ass man plays well and all of this takes place in the first half right Gardner Minshew comes out and plays garbage time. The Eagles were so dominant in this game that you lose <laughs> the, the fourth quarter. Essentially, Jalen Hurts only needs the 28 passes to throw for 285 yards to get those four touchdowns. He also gets the first Eagles touchdown for Zach Pascal in this game. We have 11 targets for Brown, eight for Devontae Smith. He's not as effective with those, has a drop early that, again, would have just been a short touch 
a short catch. But as a fantasy manager, you'd like to get all of those. And any little drop when you have A.J. Brown to pass to is going to move you sort of in the other direction. But the good part of this is this, I mean, it's going to force defenses to take even more account of where Brown is. Now, you can't do a ton more than the Steelers did in this game because, again, so many of these plays were through double teams where, I mean, he he was covered. And yet the throw is so good and the play that A.J. Brown can make on the ball so extraordinary that even double covering him, if Hertz is willing to make these throws, and I think that that was the exciting thing, is that we know that the Eagles are probably not going to end up with huge pass volume. It's a game where, I mean, A.J. Brown gets 11 targets, but when a player is playing like that, you could easily see a 15-target type of game. But we also know this is sort of a ceiling type of game in terms of volume. But if Hertz can be this efficient, if he's willing to throw the ball into coverage like this and let his guys make the play, this is a very, very well-rounded team. You have Miles Sanders carries nine times, 78 yards, a touchdown. You have Dallas Goddard gets six targets, catches all six of them for 64 yards. You do have Devontae Smith, who, I mean, he's not A.J. Brown, but one of the better wide receivers in the NFL and a really perfect complement for what A.J. Brown does. I think that in many ways, Hertz is the story here because he was willing to throw these balls. He threw them accurately. If he's going to play like this, then, I mean, A.J. Brown, in any individual game, he could put up a monster score, but it's going to be hard for these other elite wide receivers to stay with him the rest of the season. We know that there are elements of Cooper Cup's profile, Justin Jefferson's profile, Stephon Diggs' profile that are easier to sustain on a game-by-game basis. If you're someone who has Brown in any format, I think this type of game, even though we know he's not going to hit for three touchdowns very often, this type of game gives you the confidence that if he finishes behind them, and he probably will, it's going to be by a smaller margin than most people thought. Yeah, and then on the other side, obviously, we have um, the Steelers, a very disappointing day for them overall, a tough day for for Kenny Pickett. But I guess the, the big takeaway from them, nothing massive positive, but Najee Harris, who was not somebody we were targeting in the offseason, but has continued to look unimpressive and is in a situation now where Jalen Warren is a potential threat for that backfield um, moving forward here. Yeah, this is almost a perfect balance in terms of the rushing attempts. Warren gets six carries for 50 yards. I mean, you can end up with six carries. That's not that big of a deal. But when you gain so many more yards than the starter, when Harris, again, brings nothing in the rushing game, they're going to have to look at different elements of it. And you can say, well, Harris got six targets. He catches all six, goes for 26 yards. Those eight and a half points really will rescue a lot of other issues and then you're occasionally going to get a touchdown but the problem is that as warren or a different back and some of this is going to be down the line i don't think they necessarily have it set up to really occur in 2022 but as you go forward and you look at harris's dynasty value i think it's very low because they're going to have to address this with another player who does have some serious ability Harris simply won't be on the field enough to catch six passes very often. You're also going to see the passing game develop a little bit vertically. This is a a game where Pickett completes 25 out of 38, but only averages five yards per attempt, doesn't get to 200 yards, doesn't throw a touchdown, does have an interception. They take the player who, to this point, had appeared to be his favorite target in George Pickens completely out of the game, only three targets, and does not catch any of those. Friar Muth flashes a little bit again here. You have, again, a little bit more of a Chase Claypool 
reemergence. He's someone who now maybe you can sell in Dynasty if you've been sitting on him and are looking for that time period. He catches four for 45, but also throws a touchdown. You know, that part is always going to be a little bit fun. But this is a team where, I mean, they had to make the move. There are positive things about the move to Pickett. He has mostly looked good, but the team just overall is not good enough. Even though they have that firepower at the receiver tight end positions, it's a team that is really very much in transition. And although we're going to see some better games against weaker opponents than Philadelphia, I mean, this is not anywhere close to a playoff team. And it's a team that probably we're looking at mediocre fantasy scores going forward, especially since the targets that they do have. And we get seven for Friermuth, six for Claypool, nine for Deontay Johnson. Ben and I on Stealing Bananas last week talked about how Johnson is a very good buy low. And yet, in part because of his own play, but also in part because of how he meshes with the two quarterbacks that they've had out this season, the efficiency numbers are almost impossibly low. And the balanced element of the targets going forward where Friermuth, Claypool, Johnson and Pickens are all going to be in the mix. That's going to make it pretty tough unless we say it, see a big step forward from Pickett over the next three to four games, which again is possible. One of the reasons that Pickett wasn't a clear waiver ad in all formats once he got the job is that his schedule over the first five to six weeks was going to be brutally difficult. There is a point later on in the year where he comes out of that. I think that that portion then is very targetable it should be fun for both him and his receivers but i mean if you're trying to play these guys in the interim i mean you may play yourself out of a playoff spot and out of the position to really take advantage of those points that we do still think are coming it's just tough right now when you're a rookie quarterback and you're trying to play a team like the philadelphia eagles we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sean, next game up, I don't know who had this on there. You know bingo card for the week uh the atlanta falcons winning 37 34 in overtime against the carolina panthers this game has a lot of talking points a lot of interesting things to talk about dj moore obviously being a big part of that conversation this game had 34 points in the fourth quarter one of those kind of a hail mary attempt basically to, to dj moore from pj walker leads to the touchdown he takes out or dj moore at that point takes off his helmet leads to a penalty the pat is then missed which would have been the game winner it goes to overtime then they have a chance to win it in overtime the kicker misses the field goal then they they lose here and that leads to the falcons being in, in first place in the nfc south so a pretty crazy game overall ben who we were talking about earlier did have a tweet during this game after that touchdown about dj moore which 
got a lot of people talking let's just say that uh and i'm very much on board with him where the kicker has to make the kicks and the commentating team we're talking about you know dj Moore losing composure he's after catching the hail mary in a game where they really have no chance to win as they go in there in the last couple of seconds and you know takes off his helmet looking back even at the replays now it wasn't like he like you know smashed his helmet off the floor or anything like that but anyway talking points sean anyway for the game but moore has 11 targets six receptions 152 yards one touchdown adds one rush for just the three yards he does now have 21 targets over the past two weeks with the trades of robbie anderson and christian mccaffrey obviously that is linked in with the coaching scenario changing there and also the quarterback situation changing so it feels like dj moore is in a much more positive spot than he was just three weeks ago we also have Dante Four or Dante Foreman, who we talked about on the preview show last week, he goes twenty-six for one eighteen and three touchdowns. Terrence Marshall four off nine targets for eighty-seven yards. Lavisca Chanel catches five for twenty-six. The other part, Sean, that we were very happy and pleased to see was Kyle Pitts nine targets going the way of Kyle Pitts again. Game script and points totals probably not going to expect this every single week, but he looked good in these opportunities. Five receptions, eighty yards, and a touchdown. He had a long of thirty-three. They just need to keep getting him involved more. Tyler Algier and Jamar Bord looked uh, electric, I guess. We'll say they, they flashed on, on two long receiving touchdowns each. What was your key takeaways from this game? Yeah, I mean, the helmet thing is, is still frustrating because one of the reasons why I think this happens is that the NFL has been pretty lax on calling what is a clear-cut penalty. And so, I mean, you let guys get away with it, let guys get away with it, let guys get away with it. And then people are going to lose their discipline a little bit because they see that it's not called very frequently. And I, I think that part is unfortunate because you really just want to see the game decided by the players. And it shouldn't overshadow what was an amazing play. And you would kind of hope that in the same way that these crazy, touchdowns to AJ Brown would number one, reinforce those types of plays for the Eagles, but also encourage other teams who have athletic mismatches like that to attack into the teeth of some of these defenses, as opposed to sitting back and saying, we've got to take what the defense gives us. Yeah. I mean, this is a hail Mary type of play, but it's also the type of play that you can run on other downs and other situations, right? PJ Walker demonstrates his plus arm strength, the arm strength that has gotten it into the NFL and kept him on rosters. Even as the Panthers have tried to go with all of these other guys who don't have great arms, who are either washed up or are never, you know, never has been <laughs> types of players. And he works himself into a spot where he get a chance, gets a chance to start a couple of these games. He gets out on the edge on this pass to Moore and then uncorks an absolute laser. And, and Moore even slows down toward the end of it because after he runs basically this fly route, he's covered by two guys and they have him. And then he sees that the pass is going to lead him perfectly for the score and accelerates again and gets by the two. This is a double team. And you can outrun it if you are the star. And this is one of the reasons why we continue to draft DJ Moore, continue to have him on dynasty teams, try to acquire him in that format. Because when you give him a chance to show what he can do, then this is the kind of play that you get. 
And even before that touchdown, he'd had a very nice game. Once you added in, then, you know, you're up into the high 20s, almost a 30-point game from Moore here. One of the things that's going on, and one of the reasons that you get a Deontay Foreman three-touchdown performance is this Atlanta Falcons team is absolutely terrible. And from that perspective, the teams that are chasing, and that's one of the things that's so hard for the Panthers in losing this game. And I think that not only do you feel for DJ Moore, who, I mean, regardless of what anybody else says, is certainly going to take it to heart that he lost his team this game. It's also just a, a crushing blow for Eddie Pinheiro, who misses that extra point. I mean, it was not that bad of a kick. It obviously would have been good from the normal distance, but then he does shank a game winner in overtime. And it's easy to not see the kickers as people to see them as guys who, when they make the kicks, everybody expects that when they miss the kicks, it's so hard for all of their teammates, but I mean, it's, it's harder for them and the anguish on his face after he'd missed the second one. I mean, that's, that's really hard to watch. And this is not a game that the Falcons should have won. It, it is really cool that finally we get nine targets for Kyle Pitts. Finally, Marcus Mariota not only completes double-digit passes, but completes 20. I mean, this is double what you expect Marcus Mariota to complete in a game. It is another game where, despite a couple of interceptions, he looks fantastic. He gives a little bit of a hint of what he could do if he were fully deployed. The touchdown pass now. There is a catch-and-run element to it, but this is the second week in a row where Demir Bird scores from distance. Mary Oda also wins the game with a 30-yard scramble at the end to get them that field goal that finally clinches it. So from a fantasy perspective, you get the passing yards, you get the three touchdowns, you get the 43 rushing yards. This is exactly what you're hoping for, especially if you drafted Mariota in best ball and you don't have to guess which games he's going to be allowed to throw more than 13 or 14 passes. It's still a little bit disappointing for Drake London, although the Pitts London touchdown celebration uh, is one of those that shows these guys, uh, number one, pretty athletic. Number two, <laughs> they really were looking for a time where they could dance in the end zone. It's been a slow, frustrating season for them. Kyle Pitts looks good. That pass to him for the touchdown actually was not particularly accurate. He spins and pulls in that pass behind him. You can kind of imagine whatever it would be what everyone would be saying if he had not caught that pass. It's great that they win, I guess, for Falcons fans. You mentioned Tyler Algier doesn't run particularly well, is very much upstaged by Caleb Huntley, who goes 16 for 91 yards. But he demonstrated again in this one the hybrid flexibility of a guy who's 225, 230 pounds, to be able to add these three catches, he gets the 46 receiving yards. He punches in that receiving touchdown. This is a player where, I mean, you're probably not looking at him ever in his career as a top six running back, but especially if the Falcons continue to run this style of offense and kind of crank it up a little to where it's this style, but they are more dynamic with it. You could see Algier at that RB1, RB2 borderline in mid 2023, if they decide to kind of build not necessarily around him, but leave him as one of the focal points of the rushing offense, as opposed to somebody who, you know, they decide to draft over or make other moves to replace this offseason. 
we are about to go rapid fire so we can fit as many of these games from NFL Week 8 into this podcast to give you those fantasy football takeaways. This segment is brought to you by winbet.com. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100, download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning. That's W-Y-N-N-Bet.com. It is the Week 8 Fantasy Football Rapid Fire Round. The Washington Commanders get a win against the Colts. That game we talked about obviously with the Panthers had a lot of late drama and how that went from the DJ Moore touchdown to how it played out in overtime this game had lit drama in terms of the Washington Commanders luck to be kind of done and dusted and they come back with a, a big Terry McLaurin catch down to the one yard line then they get the touchdown to seal it off to finish this game 17-16 late victory this game had really nothing going on until the fourth quarter there was 20 points scored in the fourth quarter up until that point there was obviously if you do the match there was 13 points scored uh so not that exciting sean terry mclaurin i mentioned the the catch his longest of the day was a 42 yard catch at eight targets 113 yards off those six receptions he looks to be revitalized now that, that tyler heineke is back in the lineup that's probably my key takeaway from this this contest yeah, I mean, you see this game where Heineke throws 31 times, 279 yards, averages nine yards per attempt, and you're thinking, I mean, the, the commanders must have moved the ball, and they scored some points, and maybe they blew the Colts out. Not really the case. <laughs> Heineke's success comes through Terry McLaurin. They have a good rapport. McLaurin's someone who has struggled with the other players that they've tried to trot out for the commanders. He didn't have a great Carson second Wentz half. Was, uh, he struggled with Carson Wentz. He's the well, other player. It, it, everybody's <laughs> going to struggle with Carson Wentz. McLaurin, though, he gets the eight targets. He, you mentioned he has that catch down to the one at the end. He goes for 113. That's awesome. You have Antonio Gibson flashing with a an impressive touchdown reception where you see the full speed there from him. If you have Brian Robinson, this is a frustrating game. He gets the eight carries, only 20 yards. That falls behind Heineke and Curtis Samuel. He actually does beat the other two running backs, but finishes behind a quarterback and a wide receiver in this game from a rushing yards perspective. Gibson now emerging as the receiving back, although McKissick also gets the five targets. That's a contrast to the other side where Hines and Taylor Two players you'd love to see catch the ball only get three total targets. I I mean, the Colts probably had to make the move from Matt Ryan, but it's one of those moves where it probably isn't going to help you in reality, and it's going to hurt your fantasy players. We were not in on Michael Pittman. He's had some good games, but this game, I mean, it's probably going to be more what his future is like now that Matt Ryan is not out there throwing a billion short yardage passes seven catches 53 yards that's 12 and a half points and for much of the season that would have not been exciting by any stretch but it would have been playable on a week where we finally got to see real NFL football the seven for 53 from a player you picked at the two three turn that won't get it done. Of course, it's still a lot better than Jonathan Taylor, who rushes 16 times for 76 yards, has a big fumble. His season going from bad to worse. 
in especially sharp contrast between his play and what we got from Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and we look to be seeing him. I seen him getting taped up again on the sidelines during this, so injuries lingering. You know, never a good sign as the season progresses. Everyone is getting beat up at this point of the year, but somebody who relies on that explosiveness, um, not a good sign. Sean, the Derek Henrys beat the Houston Texans seventeen to ten here. Uh, Derek Henry with thirty two to two for two hundred and nineteen yards and two touchdowns. I believe this is the fourth game in a row I, I i'll check this up after we record i believe it's the fourth game in a row where he's gone over 200 yards and two touchdowns against the, the houston texans well dontrell hilliard had eight carries for 83 yards as well so yeah. this not a game where the houston texans are putting up much of a fight the two quarterbacks combined for just over 200 yards total keep in mind again that both to a and Jerry Goff went for 250-plus yards in the first half of their games. Uh, That's a bit harsh on Malik Willis's uh, 55 yards passing and one interception. Well, he was allowed to throw the ball 10 times. He looked to have so little idea. I mean, Malik Willis is someone that we're rooting for, someone that we have in some yeah, best ball leagues, somebody who at some point will probably be a fun quarterback in the NFL. The Titans definitely went out of their way in this one to not get any fans excited. They're like, we want to come out of this game with a win and we want to come out of this game with folks wanting Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill back out there. Yeah. <laughs> so if those are your two goals, you've definitely accomplished that. Yeah, it felt like that. So I think that one was easy to go rapid fire, but yeah, Derek Henry is Derek Henry is Derek Henry and he is uh running all over the Houston Texans again. So they get the win there. Sean, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. He has a, a really impressive day and you know obviously this is kind of the first week where he's fully integrated into this you know, san francisco 49ers offense and, and what could he do here he does actually throw a touchdown in this to brant Mayuk, a, a 33 yard or 34 yard touchdown pass he also rushes for the one touchdown has 94 yards on the 18 attempts and then he also has eight receptions off nine targets for 55 yards and one touchdown so he gets it done in a multitude of ways Brant Nayuk, six for 81 and a touchdown off six targets. Obviously, Debo Samuel out in this game, which obviously makes it more impressive as well that the 49ers get this one 31 to 14 against the Rams. George Kittle showing signs of life over the last couple of weeks. He gets five targets, 39 yards, three receptions, one touchdown. Sean, on the 49ers side, it's it's like this is exactly what you would want to see when you trade for Christian McCaffrey as a fantasy football drafter who has christian mccaffrey this is this is the dream scenario after what we were dealing with in in the panther situation a couple of weeks ago it definitely is and ben and i had a full show on mccaffrey and how he was going to explode in the 49ers offense you say the first week in which he is fully acclimated and incorporated into the plan i don't even know if that's necessarily the case yet i think as he gets more time there we'll see even more from him, right? You're probably not going to get too many games where he has 27 plus opportunities. I would kind of hope that you don't. That's probably more than you really want your star running back to handle, but to get the 18 carries, to get the nine targets, to get a touchdown in all three phases. And Christian McCaffrey is an unstoppable weapon. And um, people will debate this. A lot of it obviously is going to be outcome based, but I think that if you're saying that the trade package was too large 
from a process perspective, then it just doesn't understand what Christian McCaffrey brings to the table and doesn't balance the risk and reward properly when you think about what those picks can be. If you add them up and say they're worth, you know, the 10th overall pick, that's, I mean, that's one way to look at it. And yet it doesn't completely consider how a team that's built out like the 49ers, the first round pick is going to be worth a lot more to them than these other picks. You can get the extra picks by trading back down. This was a no brainer and it was a genius move. I wish some other teams like the Kansas City Chiefs had had the ammunition and the guts to go for it. Again, we're talking about what is his value. It's not the 18 carries, even though he's impressive on those. It's the nine targets. He leads the team easily here. And this is a team that has Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. You mentioned that Kittle has the 39 yards and a touchdown, but in a game where Debo Samuel is not available for him to only have five targets, I think the Kittle managers have to be frustrated. Maybe he's a little bit frustrated. He probably isn't frustrated because they win a game against an arch rival in a blowout. He's got to be pretty excited about how good this team looks right now. This is a game where Ayuk and McCaffrey combine for 15 targets and they catch 14 of them. That's the kind of efficiency that you're looking for from Jimmy Garoppolo, who only throws four incomplete passes out of his 25. You contrast that with the other side of the ball where the LA Rams are in a complete and total tailspin. They, number one, are not good, but they're also not as talented as they should be given what they've invested in so many different ways over the past several years. This is a game in which they try to get Ronnie Rivers involved. That makes absolutely no sense, right? He has eight carries, four targets. Daryl Henderson, who actually looked pretty explosive on the handful of opportunities he got in this game, marginalized. We have Kyron Williams at some point coming back ready to play. I had a long article on him in last week's zero RB playbook. Check that out. And as you're reading that, consider the fact that if Ronnie Rivers is going to be involved in this way, I think we can expect a big workload from Kyron Williams. Once he is good to go, they give a couple of carries to Cooper cup. They give five carries to Malcolm Brown, who is stuffed in short yardage. They have seven targets to Allen Robinson, who goes for 55 yards on those. They have six targets to Tyler Higby, who gains 15 yards. It's just not a good team. Matthew Stafford doesn't have much to work with. Obviously, Cooper Cup goes 879 and one because he is Cooper Cup. and You can't stop him. Even if he's the only guy. But, I mean, they need to add multiple players if they're going to be able to have any impact on the postseason race and that playoff position jockeying down the stretch. Yeah, they're they're really you know Super Bowl hangover gets thrown out, but this team kind of made it over the line against the Bengals in the Super Bowl, but have struggled all season long. We'll see if they can get it together. Matthew Stafford got a little bit banged up in this game as well, so that's not going to help. And Sean, you mentioned the running back situation, the trade deadline obviously coming up this week. If they if they don't move cow makers, that that running back room could get even messier. Looking after that particular point. We've talked about some massive wide receiver performances so far, and we're going to talk about the massive running back performances on the Tuesday show when we recap some of those games. That would obviously include Alvin Kamara and the other one obviously being in there is is Tony Pollard, who Sean referenced at the the start of the show. But we did have a situation where the Arizona Cardinals do lose to the Minnesota Vikings 34-26, but 
DeAndre Hopkins is now two games back from his suspension. He goes 13 targets, 12 receptions for 159 yards and one touchdown. His touchdown was an incredible play. He's basically perfectly covered by the defensive back, and it's a one-handed catch where he actually makes the one-handed catch look incredibly easy, but you, that's what you can do when your your hands are that size. But he looks to be really ready to go. It might have been a situation where we were afraid that it might take a couple of weeks for him to click. This team has some issues or a lot of issues i'd say kyler murray i I feel like makes too many mental mistakes in these sort of situations we've seen some of those again today but hopkins looks great any teams who were able to draft him with wide receiver depth and now they have a situation where he is back in this bye week situation or if there's any injuries you picked up or if you haven't picked up any injuries and your wide receivers are all performing you are off to a, a fantastic scenario here you know there's Sean will be in the same situation, but those teams this week that have the likes of you know, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, and if you had a DeAndre Hopkins in those lineups, those teams, I would be very surprised if they're losing this week based on the performances those wide receivers have put up. But DeAndre Hopkins with a massive game. Rondell Moore, 7 for 92, one touchdown on eight targets. He did have the touchdown run, which was 38 yards. It was kind of a, a little bit of a broken play, I guess we can say, and he had one of those extremely elastic t-shirts on, which stretched to uh, its absolute maximum. The other side, in terms of running backs that we can talk about today, Sean, is Dalvin Cook. He gets 20 attempts and leads the backfield here by a considerable margin in terms of attempts. They had 29 total rush attempts. Four of those were for Kirk Cousins, and he goes for 111 yards, one touchdown, has 30 yards receiving off six targets, five receptions. Dalvin Cook looking pretty much like he's... Uh, you know, looks like he's, if not, pretty close to his 100% healthy uh, best. He looked good. Alexander Madison looked good. He vultures a touchdown and just mauls the Arizona defense on that play. Kyler Murray, I thought, looked good in this one. A lot of pinpoint passes, able to attack down the field. The Cardinals do a lot of weird things in any given game. You mentioned the mental mistakes There was a situation here again where they have a hard time getting the plays in. They end up having to call a timeout because they're not going to get a playoff down in the red zone. Then immediately they go back and the center who granted is one of a number of offensive linemen who doesn't have a lot of experience within the rest of the group. They don't have their starters in there. They don't have offensive line continuity that probably contributes to the rushing lines that we get here where you know benjamin goes nine for 22 daryl williams goes five for eight but they get the premature snap kyler has to fall on it they don't get a play off there the big play in this game however happens late where greg dorsch fumbles a punt the fumble punts seem like they're happening very consistently in the nfl this year it's just another way where the game feels like it's got a lot of poor execution elements in it and that did cost them the game they were going to be in a position to go down potentially win instead they've got to make additional stops very similar to the situation with the new york giants today where they fall to six and two they're not able to extend their streak because they fumble two punts in that one but the lost punt plays a big role here because suddenly The Cardinals, despite the lack of a running game, look explosive. DeAndre Hopkins in his return has been absolutely transcendent. He looks like the guy who has finished as the overall wide receiver one on multiple occasions and has had a long run of top five wide receiver finishes before last year. And then when you add in 
Rondell Moore. And he was the big disappointment a week ago where Hopkins comes back and gets almost 50% of the targets from Murray. We thought that Moore was going to be the complement, was going to allow them to have the one-two punch instead of all Hopkins. In this one, he gets eight targets, catches seven passes, goes for 92 yards. And that big play you mentioned, yeah, I mean, it's a run after the catch, but it's a run after the catch. We finally are starting to see this 4-2 speed from Rondell Moore. I mean, there's so many ways in which Moore should be similar to Tyreek Hill. Maybe not bring all of the same things to the table, but some very similar types of things. In this one, he has three guys really converging on him five to ten yards after the catch. Instead of any of those three guys being able to bring him down, he outruns two of them to the spot, is hit kind of by a couple other ones, is able to bounce off the tackle. Moore, despite being short, is not a slender guy. He's got the thickness to him like a Tyree kill. He's going to be able to do some of that run after the catch. It's one of the reasons why they've had a lot of wide receiver screens to him, handoffs, that type of thing. He carries the ball twice in this game. I think because of that, the Cardinals have not used him down the field the way that they might and the way that there will be in the future. If you're looking at this from a dynasty perspective, you want to keep in mind that, yes, his first year and a half has been frustrating and it's tempting when you get this game where now you maybe have a little bit of a window to sell to unload him. The flip side of it is that I mean, he's almost certainly just too good to let go of. And it may not be this coaching staff, but if the season continues along this trajectory, Cliff Kingsbury will not be back. The new coach, I mean, <laughs> we've watched too many crazy coaching situations this year, be it in Carolina or the weird stuff going on in Atlanta. You can mention several more. You look at the Michael Pittman situation right now with the Indianapolis Colts. To say that teams can't limit players with impressive talent, that would be inaccurate. But the Arizona Cardinals have Kyler Murray there. And so the likelihood that they could get into a situation where they're like the Panthers, where they're like the Falcons, where they run the ball every play, where they're like the Colts, that's less likely a new coach. I mean, I would put my money on him unlocking Rondell Moore instead of a continuation of what we're seeing here. But even then, I mean, by the end of the season, this may be a non-story simply because the Cardinals do make a run and Kingsbury keeps his job, but he keeps his job in part because Rondell Moore has a big second half of the season. So I think either way, we're looking at a win-win with Moore. Partly that's the way I want to see it, though. So keep that in mind. But Rondell Moore, again, his prospect profile, his athleticism, some of the things that we've seen, even during the frustrating time periods, if you can be this impressive, have these types of highlights, even when you're underperforming, once things break the right way, I think there's a lot of excitement in the future. Uh, speaking of a lot of excitement, Sean, in the present, and I don't know how excited people get. I, I used to be very much not a Seattle Seahawks, uh, I wouldn't say supporter, but fan, liked them, didn't like them at all. The Packers and the Seahawks obviously had a lot of uh, rivalry matches you know, over the last decade with Russell Wilson there. The NFC Championship game, I think I'll stick with Packers when they, they lost that one for, I think, the rest of uh, our lives. But the Seahawks have been pretty fun, Sean, over the last... Uh, you know, I guess this season they are now five and three. The Giants had been on a, a tear getting their wins, but they are now six and two on the season. 27-13 in this one. Geno Smith didn't do anything massive in this, but had some very nice passes and also would have had potentially another touchdown. 
a kind of a, a walk-in touchdown to Tyler Lockett was dropped in this one Tyler Lockett also fumbled at his own goal line which led to an opportunity for the New York Giants so the other side you mentioned the Giants and, and their problems with their special teams Richie James had two fumbles which were both lost in this game which kind of turned this game around towards the end very interesting situation with DK Metcalf Sean I was sure after the conversation you know last Sunday last Monday last Tuesday that you know he was gonna be out maybe you know four to six weeks based on what we were hearing there sounded very very concerning but he comes in he plays in this one he gets 10 targets six receptions 55 yards one touchdown a lot of that coming early in this contest we do have Tyler Lockett then making up for the drop that he had with a touchdown very late on he goes five for 63 and one off eight targets Kenneth Walker getting in the end zone 51 rushing yards on 18 attempts for him just the the two targets but just one reception for one yard going his way what was your overall thoughts here any thoughts on the Giants side any thoughts on the the Seahawks side it was a pretty close game up until the the fourth quarter where things really broke in the favor of the the Seattle Seahawks to, to put up those two touchdowns yeah I mean the main thing is that you can't fumble two punts it's almost impossible to win an NFL game if you do it's also easy to see that and think, well, that was the thing that cost them. Otherwise, they would have won, which I also don't think that you can actually claim from this game. Daniel Jones, after an extremely exciting week seven, where I think you could finally start to say he's taking this job, he's putting his stamp on it, he's going to be the future in New York. You can breathe a little bit easy with those dynasty shares in super flex leagues. He comes back and has a very poor game here where he's 17 for 31 only 176 yards, doesn't throw either a touchdown or an interception, but also doesn't get any of these guys going. At this point, Darius Slayton has become the pretty clear-cut number one target in the receiving game. He's someone who has that vertical ability. He made some big plays the previous week, including a long touchdown. He does take his six targets here and go for 66 yards, but they have to have some other players with some type of legitimate talent involved. Tanner Hudson is the number two guy in terms of yardage. Marcus Johnson, the number two guy in terms of targets. He takes six targets and only catches one pass for three yards. The guy that we've been excited to see, and I think a lot of people have been excited to see because he was their second round pick in this last year's NFL draft and brings that you know joystick sort of element to it. Wandell Robinson, only the three targets, catches two for 15. To watch them and not see him involved is frustrating. You can say the only five targets for Saquon Barkley, I mean, probably five to 10 in that range. He falls towards the end of it. I mean, that's where he's going to be in most games. But for him to only have nine receiving yards in a game that they lose here, and then again, part of that is on him. He had a play late, which if you're keeping track, of your teams there in the live scoring and you need a certain play and you have him in garbage time drop what would have been at least a 10 yard gain then he had room to run when you're looking at that as potentially a two and a half to three point play that he simply drops and there's the potential always when you have Saquon Barkley he could break a tackle and then maybe you're talking about a big big play he was frustrating. He's wrapped up 20 carries doesn't even get to 60 yards. So even when you take out those two punts the Seattle defense utterly dominated this New York offense. We know that New York's defense is elite, but they're going to have to do some other things if they want to be a team that can compete with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that after a better game today from Dallas's offense, we can say the Dallas Cowboys 
as teams, not only in the NFC East, but looking forward, if they're going to be a surprise Super Bowl team, which I don't think is impossible, but obviously they have to get some things going on offense. They were about as bland in this one as they were creative and exciting in the previous game. Some of that when you're going to have to use a lot of heavy formations, when you don't have a star quarterback, when you don't have receivers, that's just going to be the way some games work out. You're not always going to look like the absolute genius that Brian Dable looked like a week ago. And yet, I mean, they made a trade this past week that does have some of the earmarks of a lose-lose trade, right? Where they've had Tony there on the team. Tony was available in a few of my leagues. He went for massive sums of money. I think that makes sense. I bid really high and was outbid. When you have Kadarius, Tony on the Giants, you have all of these injuries. Are they real? Or is he telling (laughs) New York that he doesn't want to play for them? You would expect he's going to be excited to play for Andy Reid, play for the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Chiefs have now taken a a decent-sized risk in terms of the guy who, number one, has never really done anything, even though he did have a couple of performances last year where his targets per route were insanely high. But they've got to get him healthy. They've got to teach him the offense. They already have multiple guys who are athletic but seemingly can't do anything. And McCole Hardman is basically a handoff guy. Sky Moore is someone who, you know, tested well, was productive in previous seasons as a college football player, but hasn't been able to do any of that and even catch punts at the NFL level. Now they bring in another guy with a lot of overlap in terms of what his weaknesses probably are. If he could play, it would make sense for the Giants to do everything that they could to try and see that happen with them. Not only was obviously a first round pick with them, but they need him even more than the Chiefs do. I mean, you say this is a great pickup by the Chiefs because they do need a player to give them that extra athleticism that challenges the defense, that gives them a chance to compete with teams like the Buffalo Bills. And yet this trade, I'm excited about it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not, but I do think that there are red flags on both sides. Yeah, it's a you know, if you look at the options here at the moment in the passing game for the Giants, and obviously Bellinger is out a couple of weeks after his pretty scary injury in week seven. But you're, you know, it's Slitton who you mentioned being the main target, Tanner Hudson with the five targets, and Wendell Robinson with the three targets. There isn't a huge, you know, core of wide receivers to to pull from here. And that's a little bit concerning, you know, with a team who is now six and two who could have potentially after this game if they had a one obviously they've been seven and one it's a little bit of a, a strange move but if, if maybe for them it's just better to not having them having them in the building somebody on a rookie contract just a strange situation so we'll see how he does for the Chiefs. sean i mentioned the seahawks they feel like to me like what we want the lions we want the lions to be five and three but they just keep losing but the seahawks just keep kind of squeezing out that way to win so they they for me with how the packers season are going or maybe the the other team that I'll, I'll be kind of having that little bit of a, a fun route for but there is some teams kind of coming out of the woodwork who maybe we didn't think we're going to be all that hot and maybe sean that's just my you know draft bias coming out with uh with the geno smith with the kenneth walker and the the, the dk metcalf shares that we drafted in the off season but fun show we recapped a lot of games we will be back to cover the rest of the games we haven't talked about here today on the tuesday show that would include the Jets Patriots for example we have the Broncos Jaguars we didn't talk about the Raiders Saints and the Bears Cowboys so we will get through all of them on the Tuesday show we'll have a lot more coming your way over the coming week but uh, a really fun show Sean as always it's a it's a pleasure to do these recaps 
I meant to mention this at the start of the show. Time changed in uh, Ireland and the UK over the, the past weekend. So I usually joke about these shows starting at 6.30 a.m. my time when we're recording. This one started at 5.30 my time. So this one, uh, I think, is an all-time. We've done some shows, Sean, where I've got up and we've done drafts at 2 a.m., but I don't think we've we've been going at this particular point off the morning. But the other thing I want to mention before we wrap up is we will touch on it, Sean, on the Tuesday show as well, but I had never participated in a guillotine league before. We have a, a listener who organized a guillotine league for charity. There's, I believe there might be 12 leagues in it in total, Sean, but we start off in a 12-team league and then you advance if you get through. But we are down now to the final four teams after this week. But it is a, a, an extremely fun format for anyone who hasn't played in it. But we will dive into it a little bit more on that show. But if you have played in a guillotine league before, Send me a message on, on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. I've been very impressed. I think next year I'll have to take a foray into a few more of those. Thank you again to Blue Wire and WinBet for their support for today's episode of the Road of His Overtime podcast. You can sign up today to receive that special offer. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning. That is our week eight recap show for the Sunday night, Monday morning recap section. So make sure you're subscribed on the Road of His Overtime podcast feed. That's where you'll always get these shows as soon as possible. That will be linked in today's show notes. Until we are back with that Tuesday podcast, my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter. Add over to Marlon. My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on roadofhis.com. Until we are back on Tuesday, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.